when the Apostle Paul was reminding the church in Corinth of what captures and defines the Gospel, uh, he put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. I would remind you, uh, brothers and sisters, of the Gospel that I preached to you, the good news, which you received, in which you stand, and in which you are being saved, that Christ died for our sins, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day. At the heart of this Gospel is the death of Jesus Christ for sin as a substitute for our sins, and then His resurrection from the dead, overcoming death, what Paul calls elsewhere the last enemy to be destroyed. Death. So now the Christian looks at death and life with hope. The hope of a resurrection a general resurrection at the end of history, at the consummation. Uh, A lot has changed since Christ's uh, resurrection. The Holy Spirit, shortly thereafter, was poured out in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost uh, that the Gospel, this message, would go to the Gentile nations. The New Testament church was birthed. It has reached every continent and many, many nations around the world. Uh, Many creeds and confessions have been written to capture uh, and and solidify the the gospel and the faith that we profess. Movements through the early church, the Middle Ages, the Reformation of the 16th century, giving shape and reshape to uh, the church and world. A lot has changed. But some things have not changed. Some things have not changed. Death is still in the world. Sin continues to bind the world and even our hearts at times. Suffering and pain still plagues the world. War and conflict continue to define a part of what it means to live in this world. And so we live in this kind of in-between time between what some of us call the already but not yet. Already there is resurrection and new life. And yet we are still awaiting the fullness of our redemption, the redemption of our bodies. If you want an image to capture the time in which we now live, Paul gives us one in Romans chapter 8. And it's the picture of a woman in childbirth. I don't know what that's like. Many of us don't know what that's like. Some of us will never know what that's like. But Paul says, the whole creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. And we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. The contractions of childbirth, the groaning of childbirth, it is a painful picture. But he also gives us that picture because it is a hopeful picture. Something, someone is about to be birthed. Life is coming. So there's anticipation and there's hope. But for now, we live in the groaning the pains. And the question that I surfaced before us this morning is how would the Lord have us live amidst these groanings, amidst these pains, in this in-between time? Well, in John chapter 21, and I would encourage you to turn there, our Lord gives us a story. It is a picture that I think serves as a helpful metaphor I think we could take it in some ways as a kind of metaphor for 
what it means to live in light of the resurrected Christ, yet still waiting the fullness of our redemption, the consummation, the end of history. John 21, it's the first 14 verses, quite familiar, I'm sure, to many of us. It's a fishing story. John 21, beginning at verse 1. The Apostle John writes, writes this, After this, Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. And He revealed Himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of His disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to Him, we will go with you. They went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered Him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although, although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come, have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask Him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread. He gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after He was raised from the dead. Uh, Context uh, is always important, and it is certainly uh, true here. This is John chapter 21. uh, The last chapter in this Gospel. It's in the previous chapter that we read about and hear of the resurrection, the physical resurrection of Christ. And then after He's raised, Jesus, we learn from the Gospels, revealed Himself to Mary Magdalene and Joanna and other women that same day later on to the two disciples on the road to uh, Emmaus, uh, just a a, a few miles outside of Jerusalem. And then to all the uh, apostles. That night He revealed Himself to doubting Thomas, where He said to Thomas, look, see the marks in My hands? Feel my pierced side. And Thomas then declared, My Lord and my God. The most extraordinary, supernatural, climactic event in God's redemptive history has taken place. It's the event uh, that points the trajectory of our vision and our eyes forward to the final resurrection. Yet for now, ordinary life goes on. That's part of what we have in this story. The end has not yet come. And I think 
it seems to me this is the genius of our God in providing, in this gospel, John 21, ordinary life after the resurrection. In some ways, John 21 is answering the question, Jesus is risen, now what? So this story serves as a kind of paradigm or even metaphor for one's lifelong faith journey. It has all the essential ingredients that one needs to know uh, for a fulfilling life in Jesus Christ. And the first ingredient to know, the first thing to see in the life of faith is that disappointment will come. Disappointment will come. Even failure. Small letdowns, maybe great letdowns in the life of faith. And I take this as captured in Peter's all-night fishing trip. Verse 3, Peter said, I'm going fishing. They said, we will go with you. About a week had passed since Passover and the resurrection. The disciples had returned from Jerusalem to Galilee. And people raised that question. Uh, why are they perhaps fishing at all at this, at this juncture? After the resurrection, in the previous chapter, Jesus had said to the disciples, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. That is, the apostles had been commissioned to a life of missions and service. And to be sure, Peter and John and, and the others will be used in extraordinary ways as we move right into the book of Acts in the early chapters and we see how God uh, so powerfully uses them. But, but first, they're taught a lesson. And it is a lesson about their own limitations, about the reality of disappointment and failure in the life of faith. And so we're told, they went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Why is this story included at this juncture in John's Gospel after the resurrection? The, the failure to catch fish is not merely about an empty net. It's the experience of coming up empty at times in life, in faith, in ministry. We know that fish and fishing represent more than food and work at points in the Gospel. When Jesus first called Peter and Andrew, fishermen by trade in Matthew 4, He said, follow Me and I will make you fishers of men. That is effective in catching people, influential in the lives of others for my sake and my kingdom's sake. But here they catch nothing. It's not a small catch. It's not a few fish. It is nothing. And this is what they do for a living. This is their occupation. They know the times to fish and how to fish. But perhaps the lesson to be learned is found in that, that, that word nothing. It's, it's the word Jesus used back in chapter 15 in that image of the vine and branches that He taught them in, in the upper room. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Remain in Me and I in you. Apart from Me, you can do nothing. So, so there's instruction from our Lord here about the necessity of His presence for effectiveness. But here they catch nothing. Counselor Ed Welch 
says life is too hard to manage single-handedly. That's why we're needy. There's never a day when we have immunity from difficult circumstances. If we stop to think about the difficulties, we realize they are unending. Our health, job and financial unknowns, local violence, broken promises, too much to do. Family's health, injustice, international war, conflict with friends, mechanical breakdowns. Life can be hard at times. Many of you already know this, but our family lives on a fairly uh, steep hill. I, I run this hill. I, 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 I bike this hill. I've biked it many times. It's not easy. About a week or so ago, I stepped outside our front door and I noticed someone was cycling up the hill. That wasn't a surprise. I've seen people cycle and run up that hill uh, many times. But uh, there was something unusual. I did kind of a double take because this individual seemed to be going up the hill not only with what looked like tremendous ease, but he looked like he was in his mid to late 50s. And I'm not saying that's old. I'm just saying as a 43-year-old who has run and biked up this hill many times, I was astonished how easy he was making this uh, look. Usually for me, it's a very slow climb, steady, bent over the bars, hard climb. He's sitting up. He's at ease. He wasn't whistling, but he could have been whistling. And then I noticed something, just a split second. Something was attached to his frame. And then I realized very quickly, it's a battery. I think it was an e-bike. Hadn't seen an e-bike go up our hill. An electric bike. Basically coasting uphill. And I thought, wouldn't that be nice, you know, in life to have that kind of, that extra battery at times, a little bit of extra life. Sometimes our energy is sapped. That's what you have in this, in this story, in this picture with Peter and the disciples. They have been fishing all night long. This is what they do. And they come up empty. Sometimes we catch nothing. We fall short. We experience failure. Yet part of what this story teaches us, and this is the next thing to see, is that the, the, the condition, the precondition for success in the Christian journey is not our own wisdom or our own intellect or our own ability. It's kind of a surprise. A lot of times it is failure. It's falling short. We don't desire to fail, but it is a central way God often reveals His presence, His power, and His grace. It's in the midst of emptiness. Failure that Christ shows up. And I emphasize that He shows up. This is a story to emphasize the revelation of Jesus. In the first and fourteenth verse, the brackets, really, of our passage. That is what is being communicated. Verse 1, After this, Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples. That's what John is wanting to record here. This is the, 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 the physical, historical Jesus showing up. Then at the end, verse 14, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after His resurrection. They've struggled all through the night. They've caught nothing. Then verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. They didn't recognize Him. Jesus then said, children, 100 yards off, children, do you have any fish? They answered Him, no. 
And it really is a wonderful picture. He's a hundred yards off, standing on the shore. Day is just coming up, the sun. It's a new day. Think of Lamentations chapter 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. They never come to an end. They are new every morning. Jesus is asking them, basically, have you caught anything? How are things going? How are you doing? Try the other side. Try the other side. You'll find some. Why these seven tired disciples listen to the voice, which at the time is a stranger to them, is a curious thing. Some suggest they were simply determined to persevere. Others suggest that there's a mysterious and secret power in the words of Christ that moved them to obey. But the result is this great catch of fish. The late uh, J.C. Ryle. He notes that the miracle was not in the size or the immediacy of the catch. He says, many fish swim in shoals, and it was common experience among fishermen that one boat may catch nothing, while a few yards off, another boat has an immense haul. The miracle consisted in the perfect knowledge that our Lord possessed as to where the fish were and where to place the net. But it's a lesson in the worth and the blessing of heeding and responding to the Word of the Lord. Living in light of the resurrected Christ for us is to be a life responding to His Word. Above the voice of culture, above the voice of my own reason, it is His voice, His Word, that brings blessing and power and grace and joy. He offers them a word. They experience this disappointment. They catch nothing. Then He offers them this word. That's that's the experience of our faith journey. And then they bring the fish ashore. Overjoyed that it was the risen Lord, Jesus already has a charcoal fire with fish and bread prepared. The disciples have experienced some powerful moments with Christ when it came to loaves and fish, the feeding of the 4,000 on another occasion, the feeding of the 5,000. He certainly doesn't need the fish that they have just caught. But notice what he says in verse 10. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Perhaps Jesus wanted to add to the meal that he was preparing. Maybe he wanted them to simply see and acknowledge indeed what they have just been enabled to do. By His grace. But by way of application, I want us to recognize in these words something important. Jesus desires to use the things that He gives to us for His glorious purposes. Bring what you have caught. Bring what you have. Bring who you are to Me. Your time, your talents, your family, your vocation, all that you have is from the hand of the Lord. And He calls us to give these things, to give our life as an offering to Him. Bring some of what you have caught. J.R.R. Tolkien, author of The Lord of the Rings, is a household name for for many people. I read that there came a point in his life while feeling a bit frustrated with his current uh, work that he was undertaking. As kind of an outlet, he, he wrote a short story. That was a way of taking a break, I guess. 
uh, called Leaf by Niggle. And in this story, the main character, Niggle, is an artist commissioned to paint a mural on the side of City Hall. Niggle spends his whole career trying to create the mural of his dreams. A large, colorful, fruit-bearing tree that would inspire many. But he struggles and he struggles. He feels he's being constantly interrupted in his work. Distracted. In the end, he's only able to eke out the sketch of one leaf. And then he dies. On his way to heaven, by way of a train, Niggle sees a vague but familiar image in the distance. So he asks the conductor to stop the train. He steps off. He approaches the object. And he discovers it's a tree. It's his tree that he imagined. Complete, more lovely and fruitful than he ever hoped or imagined. And there, right in the middle of the tree, is his contribution. Niggle's leaf for the whole world to see. It's then that he realizes that his little leaf is a part of something grand. A part of a greater work by a greater artist for the enjoyment and flourishing of a greater and everlasting city. It's been said that Tolkien wrote this short story as a way of of processing his own feelings, his own frustrations, sort of feeling uh, feelings of anticlimax about another work he had spent years on, a work he was convinced few would ever read or enjoy or appreciate. The name of that work was The Lord of the Rings. Friends, we may not feel we have great gifts, that we've accomplished much thus far in life, questioning our own worth or contribution, but we need to know again this morning Christ's invitation, bring what you have to me. Bring what you have to me. Bring yourself to me. And to know that His work in you and through you is a part of a greater work by a greater artist. It's to know Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 2. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. And then finally, life in light of the risen Lord, is a life in communion with Him. He doesn't just say, bring some of the fish you have caught. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. He came, He took the bread, He gave it to them, and so with the fish. Though our Lord Jesus does not dwell with us physically, He is as truly and really with us by His Spirit as He was with the disciples on the shoreline. Friends, there's so much in life that we do in order to serve some other purpose. Uh, We work, we labor in order to provide. We wash, we clean dishes, clothes to have things that are clean. We go to school in order to learn, to obtain a job. Much of life is working through means to get to some end. But here we share in a meal which is our end. It is our purpose, the purpose for which God has made us, to commune with the living Christ. We don't have to wait for that. To know Him, to rest in His grace.
Let's pray together. Father, how we thank You that You have revealed Yourself to Your church, to Your people by Your wonderful grace. How we thank You that You have indeed conquered death and that, Lord, though we experience disappointment at times, letdowns, failures, and sin, yet Your Word continues to pierce the heart of Your people with sufficient mercy. You continue to abide with us from the beginning of Your Word to the very end. That, that, that message runs through that You will be God to Your people. You will have a people for Yourself. How we thank You that You count us, Lord, among Your people. We pray, Father, that You would draw us near to You in fellowship and communion. That You would continue to speak to us from Your precious Word. Lord, that in the midst of disappointments or difficulties, we would know that most important counsel and counselor the Lord Jesus Christ and His words of life to us. We pray, Lord, that You would continue to guide us as a people, as Your, as your church. That You would go before us, paving the way, that we might follow in Your, in your steps with faithfulness and with obedience, always resting upon the foundation of Your saving grace in Jesus Christ. We give thanks for all these things and for Your presence. In Jesus' name, Amen.